up, everybody? Welcome back. Episode 26, Humility versus Ego. We're doing a real episode, like a full-length episode. I'm so excited right now. I finally got an outline done, and I'm finally ready six months later, I think, to do a full-length episode. Uh, so I kind of, originally I was going to do Humility and then Ego. Uh, as I looked into it right in the outline, I was, I was doing some research uh, and they, they're so linked that I wanted to just kind of mush them together and do one episode because I think it'll, I think it'll come across better. Uh, and it's actually really well linked to episode 24, Leadership Confidence. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out. Uh, I think listening to that first will make this uh, kind of hit home a little bit better. But we're going to be talking about the kind of the dichotomy between ego and humility. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into. But first, like always, we're going to do a history segment. And I'm excited for this, too. I haven't done this in so long. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped right now. So as you guys know, uh, I listen to a podcast. I mention it quite a bit. I get a lot of my primary leadership development from it uh, because it's what I have time for. It's almost like listening to an audiobook in the car. Uh, and I finally got Bluetooth in my car, which I'm super excited about uh, when I figure out how to make it work the right way all the time. But uh, I listen to Jocko podcast quite a bit, and he covers a lot of leadership development books, which is amazing because I don't have time to read it nearly as much as I'd like to. Uh, so he reads these books and kind of debriefs them and applies them to leadership, which is super awesome. Uh, it's basically like having a leadership development conversation with someone who's read these amazing books, right? And I get a lot of that from it. I've, I've read his books. Um, I listen to his podcasts almost daily. And, and it dawned on me as I kind of look back through the history segments that I have never done a history segment on anyone from the Naval Special Warfare community at all. Uh, and there's a lot of amazing just heroes in that community that have done incredible things. And he recently covered some of them uh, on his podcast, but he talks about Someone he actually commanded uh, that's a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, having a ship named after him that's commissioned now. And uh, and so today I'm going to talk about Master at Arms Second Class SEAL Michael Mansour. Uh, I'm sure you've heard his name before, but I'm going to go into uh, his biography first, then I'll read his Medal of Honor, Honor citation, and then there's like a little article about what happened that uh, it might be a little repetitive with what you, I read in the first part, uh, but I thought it was really cool, so I'm going to read that as well. Petty Officer Second Class Michael Anthony Monsoor was born April 5, 1981 in Long Beach, California. Michael grew up in Garden Grove, California as the third of four children of George and Sally Monsoor. He has an older brother, James, and an older sister, Sarah, and a younger brother, Joseph. Michael attended Dr. Walter C. Ralston Intermediate School and Garden Grove High School where he played tight end on the Argonaut football team and graduated in 1999. An incredible athlete, Mike enjoyed snowboarding, bodyboarding, spearfishing, motorcycle riding, and driving his Corvette. His quiet demeanor and dedication to his friends matched the silent warrior SEAL mentality that was to become his calling in life. Michael enlisted in the U.S. Navy on March 21, 2001 and attended basic training at Recruit Training Command Great Lakes, Illinois. Upon graduation from basic training, he attended Quartermaster A School and then transferred to Naval Air Station Sigonella, Italy for a short period of time. Petty Officer Mansour entered basic underwater demolition slash SEAL BUDS uh, training in Coronado, California, and subsequently graduated with Class 250 on September 2, 2004, as one of the top performers in his class. After BUDS, he completed advanced SEAL training courses, including parachute training at Basic Airborne School, Fort Benning, Georgia, cold weather combat training in Kodiak, Alaska, and six months of SEAL qualification training in Coronado, California, graduating in March 2005. The following month, his rating changed from quartermaster to master at arms, and he was assigned to SEAL Team 3 Delta Platoon. 
He deployed with his platoon to Iraq in April 2006 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and was assigned to Task Unit Bravo. And I'm going to correct this because I listened to the Jocko podcast. It was Task Unit Bruiser in Ramadi, Iraq. Uh, from April t- uh, to September 29th, 2006, Mike served as a happy heavy weapons machine gunner in Delta Platoon SEAL Team 3. During combat patrols, he walked behind the platoon point man with his Mark 48 machine gun so that he could protect his platoon from a frontal enemy attack. Mike was also a SEAL communicator. On 15 operations, he carried a rucksack full of communications equipment in addition to his machine gun and full ammunition loadout. Collectively, it weighed more than 100 pounds. He bore the weight without a single complaint, even in the midst of a 130-degree western Iraqi summer. Mike and his platoon operated in a highly contested part of Ramadi called the Malab District. During their deployment, Mike and his fellow SEALs came under enemy attack on 75% of their missions. On May 9, 2006, Mike rescued a SEAL who was shot in the leg. He ran out into the street with another SEAL, shot cover fire, and dragged his comrade to safety while enemy bullets kicked up the concrete at their feet. For this brave action, he earned a silver star. The enemy could not deter Michael and his SEAL platoon. They fought in 35 heated firefights during these incidents. Mike shot tens of thousands of 7.62mm rounds to cover Delta Platoon's movement through streets that seemed to be paved with fire. In the Malab district, Michael perfected his skills as an urban machine gunner. Once he and his men established a sniper overwatch position, he deftly transitioned to his role as a SEAL communicator, calling in tank support and transmitting enemy situation reports to the one tac 506 PIR commander. Delta Platoon executed a broad spectrum of combat operations in and around Ramadi. They patrolled bravely through the city streets, engaging in firefights, while on the other occasions they ambushed insurgent mortar teams near the banks of the Euphrates River. Mike and his fellow SEALs accounted for 84 enemy fighters killed in action and the detainment of numerous insurgents. Most notably, the Army Infantry, Navy SEAL, and Iraqi Army combined force helped to pacify the most violent city in Al-Anbar province, setting conditions for the Sunni awakening. Petty Officer Mansour was subsequently awarded the Bronze Star as the Task Unit Ramadi Iraq Combat Advisor from April to September 2006. His leadership, guidance, and decisive actions during 11 different combat operations saved lives of his teammates, other coalition forces, and Iraqi army soldiers. Petty Officer Second Class SEAL Michael A. Mansour will receive the Medal of Honor posthumously in a ceremony at the White House on April 8, 2008. He will receive the award for his actions in Ramadi, Iraq on September 29, 2006. On that day, Mansour was part of a sniper overwatch security position with three other SEALs and eight Iraqi army soldiers. An insurgent closed in and threw a fragmentation grenade into the overwatch position. The grenade hit Mansour in the chest before falling to the ground. Positioned next to the single exit, Mansour was the only one who could have escaped. Instead, he dropped onto the grenade to shield the others from the blast. Mansour died approximately 30 minutes later from the wounds sustained from the blast. Because of Petty Petty Officer Mansour's actions, he saved the lives of three teammates and the Iraqi army soldiers. Though he carried himself in a calm and composed fashion, he constantly led the charge to bring the fight to the enemy. His teammates recall his sense of loyalty to God, family, and his team. He attended Catholic Mass devotionally before operations and often spoke lovingly of his family, his older brother, a police officer and former Marine for whom he held great respect, his sister, a nurse, and his younger brother, a college football player. 
Mike was one of the bravest men on the battlefield, never allowing the enemy to discourage him. He remains fearless while facing constant danger and through his selfless nature and aggressive actions saved the lives of coalition soldiers and his fellow SEALs. He was a loyal friend and an exceptional SEAL, and he is sorely missed by his brothers and task unit bruiser. He is survived by his mother, Sally, his father, George, his sister, Sarah, and his two brothers, James and Joseph. Now I'm going to read his Medal of Honor citation. Master at Arms, Second Class, Sea, Air, and Land, Michael A. Monsoor, United States Navy, for service set forth in the following citation. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty as automatic weapons gunner for Naval Special Warfare Task Group Arabian Peninsula in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom on 29 September 2006. As a member of Combined SEAL and Iraqi Army Sniper Overwatch Element, tasked with providing early warning and standoff protection from a rooftop in an insurgent-held sector of Ar-Ramadi, Iraq, Petty Officer Mansour distinguished himself by his exceptional bravery in the face of grave danger. In the early morning, insurgents prepared to execute a coordinated attack by reconnoitering the area around the element's position. Element snipers thwarted the enemy's initial attempt by eliminating two insurgents. The enemy continued to assault the element, engaging them with a rocket-propelled grenade and small arms fire. As enemy activity increased, Petty Officer Mansour took position with his machine gun between two teammates on an outcropping of the roof. While the SEALs vigilantly watched for the enemy activity, an insurgent threw a hand grenade from an unseen location, which bounced off Petty Officer Mansour's chest and landed in front of him. Although only he could have escaped the blast, Petty Officer Mansour chose instead to protect his teammates. Instantly and without regard for his own safety, he threw himself onto the grenade to absorb the force of the explosion with his body, saving the lives of his two teammates. By his undaunted courage, fighting spirit, and unwavering devotion to duty in the face of certain death, Petty Officer Mansour gallantly gave his life for his country, thereby reflecting great credit upon himself and upholding the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Signs George W. Bush. So I'm going to read... Um, Another little article that I thought was pretty cool uh, about what happened, uh, and it's got a little bit of perspective from the guys that were there. On 29 September 2006, Mansour was part of a sniper overwatch security position in eastern Ramadi, Iraq, with three other SEALs and eight Iraqi soldiers. They were providing overwatch security while joint and combined forces were conducting missions in the area. Ramadi had been a violent and intense area for a very strong and aggressive insurgency for some time. All morning long, the Overwatch position received harassment fire that had been a typical part of the day for the security team. Around midday, the exterior of the building was struck by a single rocket-propelled grenade, RPG, but no injuries to any of the Overwatch personnel were sustained. The Overwatch couldn't tell where the RPG came from and didn't return fire. A couple of hours later, an insurgency fighter closed on the Overwatch position and threw a fragment grenade into the Overwatch position, which hit Mansoor in the chest before falling in front of him. Mansoor yelled grenade and dropped on top of the grenade prior to it exploding. Mansoor's body shielded the others from the brunt of the fragmentation blast and two other seals were only wounded by the remaining blast. One of the key aspects of this incident was the way the overwatch position was structured. There was only one access point for entry and exit, and Mansoor was the only one who could have saved himself from harm. Instead, knowing what the outcome would be, he fell on the grenade to save others from harm. Mansoor and the two injured were evacuated to the Combat Op Outpost Battalion Aid Station, where Mansoor died approximately 30 minutes after the incident from injuries sustained by the grenade blast. 
Also due to Mansoor's selfless actions, the fourth man of the SEAL squad, who was 10 to 15 feet from the blast, was completely unhurt. The 28-year-old lieutenant, who sustained shrapnel wounds to both legs that day, said the following in crediting Mansoor with saving his life. He never took his eye off the grenade. His only movement was down toward it. He undoubtedly saved mine and the other SEALs' lives, and we owe him. As Kristen Scharnberg of the Chicago Tribune summarized in tribute, the men who were there that day say they could see the options flicker across Michael Monsoor's face. Save himself or save the men he had long considered brothers. He chose them. And like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, in another tribute to Michael Monsoor, they named the uh, DDG-1001. Uh, it's the second of the, the DDG-1000 class um, of destroyers after Michael Monsoor. That's pretty pretty incredible. Um, I, I hear him talked about all the time uh, on the podcast, um, and it's pretty incredible, the story. Uh, and, and, I mean, it, it's one of those things that you kind of hear talked about even in movies and romanticized, but uh, in real life, knowing what was going to happen when this grenade went off, I mean, it's, I don't know, that story rocks me every time I read it. Um, I thought it was a really cool story, and it was somebody I wanted to honor on the podcast. So, uh so that's the history segment for today. And like I said, uh, I'm really excited about this episode to finally just be getting an episode out in and of itself is an exciting concept. Uh, and so we're finally going to do that. And today we're talking about ego and humility. I have an ego. So do you. And sometimes uh, it gets the better of me and it gets the better of us. Uh, those moments are generally teachable moments. And they start with, for me, with my being wrong or failing, Right. Uh, in those moments when I become vulnerable to my ego and I, I kind of allow it to take over, uh, it ends with me screwing something up. It ends with me failing, uh, and that's why we, we need to talk about it. And that's why we're going to identify some of the ways that you can uh, kind of take control of your own ego and make sure you don't end up in that situation. So junior sailors should be first focused on being good followers uh, as this humility and team-centric attitude is critical to your their success and your success uh, when you transition into leadership positions. It's not about you. No one owes you anything, and you're not entitled to anything. You're not the smartest person in the world. Uh, you may not be the smartest person in the room, and that's okay. And even if you were, who cares? You should have your mind open to learning from anyone, from anywhere, from any source, level, experience, or background. It doesn't matter. You'll never know everything. And sometimes you'll forget what you did know. Or someone can teach you a better way by you having that open mind. They could help you complete a task better and faster than you ever could by yourself. Ego can be a barrier to you growing as a person and as a leader. And humility is the cheat code. And we're going to talk about both of them. All right. Uh, so before we get all the way into this, I just, again, like always, want to remind you, if you need anything, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, hit us up. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can DM us on Instagram or you can Facebook message us. Don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm responsive to all of them. They all go right to my phone uh, and we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. All right, so let's talk about it. What is ego? All right, and I like to define things. So I literally looked it up, and the, the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition is a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance, the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious and is responsible for reality testing in a sense of personal identity. There's a lot there. I'm going to reread that. 
the part of the mind that mediates between the conscious and the unconscious and is responsible for reality testing and a sense of personal identity. That's crazy. Uh, the personal identity part is something that I didn't think about as much when I thought about ego until I kind of got into developing it in this outline. I, and it was something I kind of learned as I went through this was how someone's personal identity is tied up in their ego and why that's important. And we're going to get to that. But first, I want to talk about self-importance and, and basically how that relates to ego. Right? Ego is your own self-importance. Uh, I, I think it can be confused with being overly prideful. And I think that's what I was doing at first uh, because I Oh, being overly prideful, I think, takes the personal identity part out of it. Um, it's your own self-importance, and it's linked to your personal identity. They're in the same lane, but they're not the same thing. Your ego itself isn't all bad either, and that's something that we're going to get into uh, as well, is that putting yourself first isn't all bad, but allowing it to run wild is where we find a problem. So insecurity, and this is where the personal identity part hits the hardest, is running pretty contrary to what we perceive ego to be, Ego run amok generally starts with a person's insecurity. Someone whose ego is out of control is generally an overcompensation for what that person feels and views as a weakness. Think about it. Like the times that someone has to tell you over and over what they can do and how well they can do it and all the things they've accomplished and all the things they're going to do. Like would they need to do that? Would they need to tell you if they were showing people that they could through action? If they were actually doing those things, if they actually were all those things, would they need to constantly tell you about it? Um, that's something that I, I've experienced with someone that was just ego run amok, that was an egomaniac. And that was one of the, the th when the switches flipped for me, that was one of the things I noticed the most was, would they need to tell you all that all the time if they were actually doing those things and if they were actually that person? Uh, and false self-image is what I want to talk about next. So if you... I've ever worked with a person like that, right? With a leg just a legitimate egomaniac. And I have, like I mentioned before, and it's probably talked about in, in some of the early podcasts when I was working with that person, but they play this role so often, addressing these insecurities and addressing what they view as these weaknesses in their own personal identity, that many times they begin to believe their own hype, right? And it creates a huge blind spot for them in leadership. If you perceive yourself to be viewed one way, to be this legend that you have in your own mind, and by peer subordinates and leaders, you're actually viewed completely differently, that's going to destroy your ability to communicate with your team, to have any kind of rapport with them. They will not receive you or respect you in the way that you may believe that they do, and it can erode a mission accomplishment right under your nose. The worst part being, you're not going to know why because of that gigantic blind spot you've created for yourself. You'll have no idea what's really going on in your team, what they're really hearing when you're communicating. And so when you have that f completely false self-image, when you believe your own hype, when you talk yourself into this corner and create this blind spot for yourself, you're crushing your ability to lead and you're destroying your team cohesiveness. But... There's a solution, and it's humility. By being humble in all phases, you keep your mind open. You can take pride in the work you do while being a humble leader. And I'd make the case that a healthy ego, tempered with humility, will make you an even better leader. Feedback. My favorite part of humility is feedback. You need to be okay with feedback. 
You need to be open to it. Encourage it. You want people to point out your flaws because that means you're aware of what you need to attack, that there is no blind spot or it's shrinking and it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You welcome people showing you ways to get better. It's free leadership development on the spot from the people you're leading. It's a damn cheat code, man. If you make it okay for them to tell you when you're wrong, to tell them, to tell you when you're weak and to tell you when we could be doing something better as a team, then you can get better. You can get ahead of those things and you can be right and you can be strong and you can do better. But you have to be open to it. You have to be okay with that. You have to invite it. Go looking for it. Encourage that. In the, in the teams I lead, I call it peer-to-peer enforcement and, and then just open communication and feedback. But being okay with someone telling you, hey, man, you got your hands in your pockets or hey, that's not how you're supposed to wear that cover or whatever. And, and not like I'm chin checking you just to make you feel bad. Like, no, I genuinely want to help you. I want to square you away so that you can be squared away. You don't need, we don't need to do it in front of anybody. I don't need credit for it. You don't need to tell anybody that it happens. And then I would love for you to take that knowledge and go help somebody else get better. That's the best part of feedback is that you're going to learn. You're going to get better so you can be better and it's going to make the team better. Next is find find a trusted ally. Find a sounding board. Everyone in your organization will either A, not be comfortable providing you this feedback you seek, or B, they're going to lie to you because you're the boss, man. You're the supervisor. There will be folks that are intimidated by doing this or think that you'll hold on to that feedback and like hold it against them later or punish them for it. And that's completely natural. You're human, just like them. So they have those insecurities that if they tell you those things, you're going to use it for what you're saying you're going to use it for and not be insulted by it and let your ego get bruised, you know, and hold it against them later. So you need to find someone you trust that is not afraid to tell you like it is, right? That person will not only give you the unadulterated truth, but also help you filter through the other feedback. This way you get it from multiple sources, but you're not acting on the feedback you get from someone that's worried about it affecting your perception of them or not acting on that feedback, right? You get to filter through it kind of through their lens, their unbiased, hopefully, and un- <laughs> unadulterated truth lens where they give you everything just raw and dirty. They tell you like it is, hey, man, you're screwing this up. They don't like when you do this. I don't like when you do this. Uh, you're not communicating well, whatever. And then you kind of look at what everybody else told you. And if you got six people telling you that same thing and one or two people telling you, oh, no, man, you're doing a great job, then you know, like, okay, there really is a problem that I need to address. And it's, you know, that I need to communicate better or whatever, right? But you, that trusted ally, ally is somebody that you can use as a sounding board and that can, you can kind of go vet it through like, hey, somebody just told me this. Is this, am I really doing this? And then they can be like, yeah, man, you didn't know that or, or no, what are you talking about, right? And then you can address that or you can, you know, not be worried about it and not stop doing it the right way, right? Uh, the next one is the daily grind. Make your humility routine. Practice it daily. If you assess if you confer with your trusted advisors and you identify the areas you're weak in, the areas you allow your ego to take control, right? Use that. Find them in your daily routine and then consciously decide to be humble in that moment. You'll be floored at what you learn. 
the more you practice this, like any habit, like the better you'll become at it. You'll frequently find yourself reacting much differently to situations you deal with regularly, and you'll see positive growth in your team and you as a leader, right? You need to make it a practiced habit. Get it ingrained in your daily routine. Make it something that you're, and, and that's what's gonna open you up to feedback and open you up to learning and keep you open is by practicing humility on a regular basis because you're gonna act differently. You're gonna open your mind in those situations and you're just gonna learn and it's gonna blow your mind how much you were missing. And then you're just gonna be like, holy crap, like I wanna learn more. I wanna do this more and more and more. It's gonna become like irresistible almost. So the last, I wanna answer this question because I had the question as I was going through the outline. Is ego a bad thing? Uh, My answer is ego is a thing. (laughs) You have it, we all do. And like all leadership principles, I think the answer is it depends. A strong, healthy ego can be a great asset linked strongly to what I talked about in episode 24, which is leadership confidence. They're basically the same principle with a different name. Having a strong, healthy ego is you confident in who you are, comfortable with your identity and ready to tackle any challenge put in your lane while being humble enough to know that you cannot do it alone and that there are always lessons to be had as you go. Ego has negative connotations to it because it's confidence and pride gone way too far. It's when you mix in those insecurities and lose control of it. That's when people start talking about ego. and It's not confidence anymore. Ego is taking control of you vice you controlling that ego, which is confidence. And it's what leads you into trouble. It's when you put yourself before the team. It's when only your opinion matters. It's when you're always right. These are toxic and are probably what will degrade a team's cohesiveness and mission accomplishment faster than anything else. You will destroy the team's trust in you. They will stop communicating. And the worst version is that they can be begin conspiring against you. Something that happened to me kind of recently is uh, my boss, and I'm going to purposely keep it vague, wasn't doing his job. He was not even close to being in the vicinity of leading the team the way he was supposed to be leading them. Everyone knew it. It was an open secret uh, to the point that when I checked in, it was openly talked about that this guy was a joke. He wasn't doing his job. Nobody respected him. Nobody trusted him. It was at that point already. Like This wound was open and it had festered already. So when I got there... I'm a fixer, man. I wanted to fix this. So I was like, what can I do? I supported him as much as I could. I tried to get behind him and push because that was the first part that bothered me. And being new, I didn't know him as well as they did. I didn't have the experiences they did. So I thought, this guy just needs some people to get behind him and push. He needs some people on his team. That led to me basically doing his job. I picked up all his slack and plugged the gap because it was negatively affecting, like it always does, our junior sailors. So then I I started to understand and understood that I couldn't fix this by doing what I was doing and that I needed to go further with this. And I'm a fixer, so I wanted to fix it. So I tried to fix it. So I started having conversations with my mentors about what I could do about it and, uh, and what I should do about it. Like, who should I, should I go talk to higher authorities at this point? Like his boss? Like, should I, should I, because I can't fix this. Like, what should I do? And the commanding officer was aware, like other people were aware besides just me. This was not like limited to my level. 
Um, I wasn't privy to those conversations, but they were definitely aware. And so I had a conversation with my mentor, who's a 30-year retired command master chief. And su- surprisingly to me, I, I mean, I thought he was going to be like, yeah, this is all this. These are the things you need to fix it. Don't take no for an answer. Go talk to the next level CMC or whatever, next level commands leadership. And he said, whoa, slow down. You know, he's like, be very, very careful with what comes next. And I was like, I was confused at first. And it was basically he was telling me this is how mutinies happen. Like this is the beginning and it seems innocent, but it's like when people start conspiring behind people's backs to take action. And I mean, you're literally flirting with the definition of a mutiny. And I was like, holy shnikes. Like I didn't even think about it that way. And I, and he's like, look, there are people who get paid to do this. You're telling me that higher authorities are aware. You got to kind of let, nature take its course and I'm like and just keep doing what you're doing and I was like all right he's like that's your function in this problem is to continue supporting the command supporting him and doing everything you can to to plug the gap until something gives and I was like okay and something gave short story he got replaced by someone who's amazing who's doing a great job and who I'm learning things from so Um, But just be very careful with that. Be very careful with thinking that you're indispensable, that you're the most important part of the team, that you're right there wrong, you know, and not being open to learning and getting better and being told that there's a better way to do it because all of those things were happening and this guy just wasn't having it. He wasn't listening. He was disengaged, didn't want to hear it, thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. Not not your classic definition of an egomaniac, but definitely completely closed off based on ego uh, to any kind of feedback, improvement, criticism, anything. Uh, and he paid with his job. Uh, it can get dangerous quickly. Uh, and, and that's kind of why, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this. Uh, so it's summary time. It's conclusion time. I wish I had more. I, I should have wrote a longer outline. I just want to keep recording. Uh, I'll try to get another one out as soon as I can. Uh, but uh, so we talked about what ego is, how ego is balanced with humility, and whether ego is bad or not, and why. Uh, and junior sailors need to be aware of ego and how it can so easily take control of you and what negative impacts that entails. If, the, if you want to succeed as junior level leaders, uh, be very aware of this. Be very sensitive to it because ego is dangerous. If you ask people who think they know me or worked for me briefly or whatever, I believe they would tell you that I have a healthy ego and that I like myself a lot. I'm sure that you'd get a lot of that. Uh, and they, they wouldn't be wrong entirely. Um, but I can tell you a lot of what I do as a leader is designed that way. I want them to believe that I'm in command. I want them to believe I'm good at my job. I want them to believe that I'm comfortable making the hard decisions, that I've got it, because I do. I want them to know that and take comfort in that and not worry about the leadership issues. I got it. That keeps them focused on the mission, which I cannot accomplish without them. Everything I do is designed through the premise of taking care of the team so the team can take care of the mission. It's what I believe I'm here to do. Uh, If you ask people close to me, 
who know me well and see right through my ego, <laughs> they know that. Uh, they know that every single thing I do is for them and for our sailors. And, and if those sailors trust me deep down, they know that too. Uh, and that's just leadership confidence. Be very aware of ego. Study yourself. Put yourself in front of that mirror and take a long, hard look. Um, and understand that you know if you have a bit of an ego problem, which especially when you're young, I think we all have that. I did. I know I did. I distinctly recall a moment when I was like 16 working a line at a restaurant and some waitress called me cocky. And I was like, what? I'm not cocky, you know? And then I started thinking about it like real hard. Like, am I? And like, I'd like start asking people, I mean, do you think I'm cocky? And they're like, yeah, kind of. I'm like, what? I'm like, so you gotta, you gotta be open to that and like ask those questions and put yourself in front of a mirror. Get that person uh, in your life that you trust to tell you those things. Be open to hearing them. Study it. Study yourself and identify areas where you can improve and then do it. Be humble, right? <laughs> uh, that's all I got, right? That's, that's it for episode two, six. I'm super pumped to have been able to get an episode out. Um, I already have like three more ideas for episodes uh, that I've been I've been wanting to get done for a long time. Uh, I plan on doing that. I plan on working on my YouTube videos uh, soon. I got one that's going to be incredibly simple about boot shining <laughs> that I'm going to get done. I already have my ratty old pair of boots I got at a thrift store, so I can start doing that. And like always, if you ever need anything from us, again, hit us up. Don't give up the shit podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us or you can DM us on Instagram. Uh, and, you know, more to come. I'm super excited to have an episode out. I'm sure some spin the yards are to follow and then I'll knock out some episodes while I'm on leave. Hopefully I can get a little ahead so that if I get busy, I have episodes on tap that I can release. Uh, that's always been my goal and I've just never been able to do it. I've kind of been living paycheck to paycheck in the podcast world, but uh That's all I got for this week. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. Bye.